is the Let's Make It Better podcast, episode number 15. Good evening, Bob. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. It's 2021, and uh, if I'm to believe uh, the media, everything's all better now. Uh, it should be better. Uh, the, the dial flipped. We're, yeah, everything's over. It's all over now. Yeah, apparently. They're, all that stuff we were worried about in uh, the, uh, the double 20 is a uh, long history, and uh, everything's all renewed because the calendar flipped over and the ball dropped. Did you watch any of the ball drop ceremony this year, by the way? I, I didn't watch it. I heard about it. I heard that it was just kind of awkward and weird. Uh, yeah, I didn't watch much of it. Uh, uh, we were just doing some family stuff, playing some games or whatever. And then like we do about a minute before, you know, we flipped it on. Um, but I did hear from some other people that uh, it was uh, very commercial, a lot of advertising, kind of surreal. And what I did see was not uh, festive at all. It was a little weird. It was like 10 people waiting for a bus at the end of the park closing. Uh, it's kind of what it looked like. There was a lot of festivities you could tell they were set up for, but there just wasn't a lot going on. And yet in Wuhan, they're in the streets releasing balloons, all wearing masks, granted, but still out celebrating. So what happened? Uh, you know, it's, um, I don't know. <laughs> what are we safe to say about that? Because, about, you know, one of our baseline precepts here is that we are not going to get fired, if I remember right. Um, <laughs> so I'm not sure what we're going to say about Wuhan and uh, releasing balloons of COVID. Um, we, we do not want our incomes uh, uh, eliminated because of our podcast. I think no, that's our goal. Yeah. No. And, and welcome to the Let's Make It Better podcast. Great to be back after a short break. Uh, we took a couple of weeks, obviously, for the holidays, uh, and now we're back at it. Uh, and uh, this is the first time I took 11 days off from my real job. I haven't taken a, well, 11 calendar days, not obviously work days, because there were some holidays thrown in there for bit days of business. This is the longest time that I've taken off from work. Uh, I figured it out in five years. Wow, that's amazing. I know. And uh, what's even better, partly because work also wasn't that busy, but I, uh, I didn't actually work on my days off. Typically, I work on my days off, um, which sounds like a humble brag. I don't mean it to be. It's just I usually do. I'm always, you know, I'm checking my email. I, I'd, I'd rather stay kind of with one foot in rather than take two feet out and then come back and get demolished. That Monday, you come back with a thousand email and a bunch of problems. So I always keep up, but boy, there really wasn't much to keep up with. Um, things were pretty darn quiet, and I, I did check out, to be honest with you. Did you get to oh. check out? You know, I didn't over the holidays, but this, it, oh, I should say last year, not this year. Last <laughs> year, um, I, I got a uh, two-month uh, uh, time to myself uh, because I work for a company whose business model is to lay people off and then rehire them after they go through a rigorous interview process. So um, thanks to that company, I had two months to myself. Um, it was nice. I could have gone for three. <laughs> well, lest we uh, single that company out. Um, no, they're, no. They're, they're, not, they're not the only ones. I was just talking to someone here this evening that talked about how, how terribly they felt they were treated at an organization considering they, they worked there for 30 years. And yet, you know, that didn't mean anything. And I just don't think that means anything anymore. I don't think employers expect you to work there for 30 years. I don't think they see any difference between someone who's been there 30 years, other than the fact that maybe you cost them too much because of your health care and your vacation spend um, and, you know, that liability. Yeah, so part of that may be company size too. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know some people that are 30 years at the same company or whatever, and sometimes I'm jealous. Um, but then other times I think, you know, uh, they could lay off just as fast as, as someplace you've worked for six months. So I, I don't know what to think anymore, to be honest with you. I just can't figure out the resume thing. I mean, if, if all these layoffs keep happening and you keep moving from company to company because there's no loyalty anymore, how do you keep your resume to one or two pages? I don't right. know. Well, and we should actually, and let's make, you know, I'll, I'll ask you uh, to open up the copious notes. I know you have a, a spiral bound notebook there and a quill pen that you keep notes because uh, you're the scribe uh, for this little endeavor. And I know you keep copious notes and statistics on our podcast. Of write course. this, write this down. Uh, we need to talk about uh, that because I, w- one of the quandaries that I have, you speak of the resume. Uh, imagine you've worked somewhere for 20 years and uh, you're out of a job suddenly. Um, do you have more skill or less skill? Do you have, are you more marketable or less marketable? Uh, because you know how to do one thing at one place. You know, even if you did a lot of things at that place to anybody who looks at your resume, you kind of know how to do one thing at one place. How's that going to translate? So I, that would be an interesting topic for a future episode, I think, because it's kind of near and dear to my heart because I struggle with that one a lot. I like it. Let's do yeah. it. We'll get back to it. Hey, you know what we should get to first? Um, let, me, let me hit on the uh, way that, they, that uh, folks can communicate with us, and then I'm going to toss it back to you to talk about one of our kind sponsors, Mr. Mark Aloine. First and foremost, though, if you want to reach out to uh, the Let's Make It Better podcast and send us some information, send us a question, you can even send us a voice memo. Use the voice memo app on your phone, record it, send it as an attachment, uh, and email it to the Make It Better Notes, M-A-K-E-I-T, B-E-T-T-E-R-N-O-T-E-S at gmail.com. Drop us a line, drop us some questions, some feedback, what have you. We read everything that comes in. Right now, it doesn't take very long, Uh, but go ahead and send stuff through to us. We will read it. And uh, yeah, and like I said, send us that uh, recording through. If it's it's fit uh, for a general audience, you might find yourself... Uh, on this podcast in voice form. Also, uh, as I understand it, we have a growing, I'm not going to start quoting the numbers. Uh, I'm just going to tell you it's a growing Twitter following. So that's pretty exciting. And I think, I think we're going to get a little more active. Um, as I was saying a little earlier, uh, I am this close to deleting the Twitter app off my phone because I think psychologically that would really make me happy. Uh, but what I may do instead is just keep the, uh, the make it better uh, let's make it bet two is our handle. I might just keep that account and uh, just keep that my happy place uh, on the Twitter. But go ahead and tweet us at uh, make it bet, B-E-T-T, two uh, on, on the Twitter, and that would be awesome. So that's how you get a hold of the Let's Make It Better podcast. Now, to more important things, that theme music we heard was... Don't Take the Bait by Mark Edelwine. Um Mark has a new song coming out in mid-January. Uh, a, a brand new song? A brand new song. He just had this... two new songs in December. I know. He had a Christmas song. Now, All does he, Jesus. Does he now... have, like, young children in, uh, you know, some third world country, like, instead of making t-shirts that are producing these songs or how can he produce songs at this quantity yeah they might be coming out of some place in china i don't know but mark mark's a good guy i don't think he would do that I th- well I think i'm just that, impressed i'm impressed at the quantity i couldn't come up with three songs and i only know two chords on the guitar uh, yeah. and i wouldn't be able to do it 
Mark Mark has a studio and he's he's in the studio. He's writing. He's uh, he knows who his influences are, so he kind of knows what he wants to to lay down. But I don't think that he just kind of busts these out. I mean, these aren't these aren't your typical. Uh, you know, we'll repeat the same words in the chorus and then have two verses and a guitar solo. These are um, you know they're inspirational songs. They 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 lift you up. Um, not every verse is the same, um, uh, but but he, he managed to crank out another one, and it is uh, um, it's called something. This much I know is what it's called, and it comes out in mid January. Yeah, and, look, go for it, go for it. Yep, keep talking. Sorry, keep talking. If, if you keep listening to this entire podcast, you're gonna hear a little bit of it. That's what I was gonna tease. We're gonna be bumping it. Uh, that's what we call it in the business, uh, in the uh, free podcast business. <clears throat> we call it bumping. We're going to bump that in and out today. Bumping. Bumpin'. And we'll play it for, for sure, full length uh, as we close out the podcast today. So hang out for that one. And, and, and I, would, I would concur, by the way, if you've ever done any looking for copyright free music or things like that to use in a production, uh, it gets pretty formulaic pretty fast. And most of them, quite frankly, have elements that you think are pretty good. And then it has a change or it has a has some sort of a difference in tone that you go, ah, it just doesn't fit. Uh, I will, I will echo the fact that this is complex music. This isn't just, you know, you know, three chords and, and a loop. Uh, it's pretty good stuff and you can use it in producing your own content. So much better than Luke Bryant. So much better. <laughs> uh, now that said, Luke Bryant is awful, but this is so much better. Um, but I'll tell you, um, and I, I'm not, I'm not being the funny guy here. This, this actually happens. I will find myself when I have nothing better to do, and I'm just kind of wandering around, going, dun, 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 dun. it gets stuck in my head. It's, a, it's an earworm. It's in there. It's in there. So, way to go, Mark Aline. You have created an earworm. Nice work. Well, very, very good. And I'll, I'll very quickly, uh, eventually here, play. Don't pick, pick the bait again. His version, so I don't have your version in my head <laughs> because the acapella was nice, but uh, maybe not quite as good as Mark's. Hey, let's do the news. So pretty interesting stuff out there to look at uh, today, and we're going to quickly hit on the news so this doesn't turn into a, to a three-hour podcast. But um, Microsoft is in the news. Now, Microsoft was in the news last month uh, because they were part of the whole FireEye uh, Russian hacking. No, no, not that Russian hacking, the new Russian hacking, uh, where they had uh, gained access in inside uh, government agencies and government back office systems uh, through uh, some uh, third parties. Let's just put it that way to make it simple. Uh, but this time, Microsoft is in the news for, for a different kind of reason. Um, Microsoft, it seems, is planning. Now, you're a, a Windows user, right? I'm on a Mac, but you're a Windows user, correct? Yep, yep. I still use the PC. Yeah, okay. So I've, you know, I've, I've got Windows machines too, but your primary is the old PC. Well, Microsoft is planning a sweeping visual rejuvenation of Windows. Uh, that is designed to signal to users of the operating system that Windows is back in all capital letters. That's according to a job <laughs> listing. I, I'm remembering 1995 here with, with Bill Clinton, Steve Ballmer, yep. right? Dancing on the, on the stage to, to uh, start me up. That's what I'm thinking of. Does the paperclip come back? Oh, it looks oh, like you're trying Clippy. to write a document. Let's bring Clippy back. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> 
Uh, as, I don't remember the quote, but someone once told me watch that that uh, Clippy. And if for those of you who are who are under the age of seventy, unlike us, uh, if you remember, Clippy was in the what probably the nineties, and it was a precursor to a chatbot. Quite frankly, um, it was a um, it was a little animated paperclip with eyes that blinked. And if you were using Microsoft Word or Excel and, and maybe you did something on the screen that looked like you were confused or God knows why, it would pop up and say, hey, do you need some help? Uh, and uh, what I understand was that was the only time in focus groups that the focus group was actually prompted to want to commit harm to the machine they were using. Like literally it brought them to want to commit violence. <laughs> they hated Clippy so much. Uh, that was Clippy. I think uh, if I saw Clippy walking down the street, I'd punch him. I would. I'd be well. First of all, I'd be a walking paperclip, so that would that would go on our Twitter post, and uh, we would we would have more than the number of Twitter followers we have, <laughs> though it is a growing number. All right. So anyway, Windows is going to be back. That's according to a job listing posted by Microsoft recently, advertising for a software engineering role in the Windows Core User Experiences team. And uh, so here's the quote from that job listing, which by the way, spoiler alert, this job posting has been pulled down. Uh, on this team, you'll work with our key platform, Surface and OEM partners to orchestrate and deliver a sweeping visual rejuvenation of Windows experiences to signal to our customers that Windows is back and ensure that Windows is considered the best user OS experience for our customers. Uh, Microsoft quietly removed references to this sweeping visual rejuvenation this morning after several Windows enthusiasts spotted the job listing over the weekend. While Microsoft has been promising visual overhauls of Windows 10 for years, uh, you know, isn't that funny? Because anybody in the corporate world, you're probably still clawing to get to Windows 10, right? I mean, how many people are still running uh, Windows XP and Windows 7 uh, in corporations at this point trying to get to Windows 10? Uh, thanks to its fluent design system, rumors suggested that the company is planning big user interface changes for Windows that will debut uh, later this year. And this is, I'll just skim ahead here. This is going to mean that Microsoft is planning to overhaul the start menu, the file explorer, and uh, built-in apps. Careful how you say that, Netscape is listening. And built-in apps in Windows 10 to modernize them and make the UI more consistent. So. Boy, isn't that great. Uh, once again, it's all gonna change for all you Windows users who don't like change. That's pretty pretty sucky stuff. Do you, uh, you use Windows 10 right now? Um, yeah, I'm running 10 on all my, my, my machines, my personal at work. Um, I, I like it, I think it's okay. I think it's a little bland. I don't know that I'm excited about the direction that the icons are going. Um, and maybe I do miss Windows 95 icons. I don't know, I don't miss Clippy though. I never liked any of the new style of Windows. Um, that was why it wasn't hard for me to leave it as my primary machine. I've never liked the flat design. I hate the uh, Windows apps look and feel, you know, the Metro app style. I never liked any of that. So uh, I was happy to move away from that personally. So yeah, I'm all for it. Make it better and maybe I'll come back. Hey, make it better. That's our name. <laughs> In other news, tech news in the case, in this case, um, this was uh, pretty surprising. Well, maybe not surprising, but it was startling to read it today. It's, I know it's, this is, this first came back up back in 2018. People have talked about it, but I don't think anybody would actually do it. Well, it's been done. Hundreds of Google employees unionize, culminating years of activism. The creation of the union uh, rarity in Silicon Valley follows years of increasing outspokenness uh, by Google workers. More than 400 Google engineers and other workers have formed a union 
the group revealed on Monday, capping years of growing activism at one of the world's largest companies and presenting a rare beachhead for labor organizer in staunchy, in staunchy anti-union Silicon Valley. The union's creation is highly unusual for the tech industry, which has long resisted efforts to organize its largely white-collar workforce. It follows increasing demands by employees at Google for policy overhauls on pay, harassment and ethics, and is likely to escalate tensions uh, with top leadership. So now I, uh, I'm kind of at cross purposes with this. Um, and I'm, I, I'll set aside the whole, do you like a union, do you not like a union type thing. Uh, as a software developer in my past, I've always thought of software development as kind of a blue collar job. Right, we bring our tools. Uh, we we have a you know basically a pile of lumber laying there that we've got to turn into a birdhouse or to a doghouse or into a porch or whatever. We do that and then we move on to the next place. Right, we don't we don't just continually stand in one place and build a new one every day. And and we're not architects. Right, we're we're builders of stuff. Well, it's kind of uh, the new industrial revolution, right? I mean, you had people working factory lines back in the 1920s, uh, and now you have quarters. Yeah. Uh, it's, what's what's interesting about this one, though, is they're not fighting against working conditions in in the classical sense. The working conditions now are about um, the the overall corporate position globally. Like if they're contributing to the making of weapons is one of the items in here. Um, how diversity, inclusion, and belonging is being treated within the organization as a whole is what they're unionizing uh, to combat. It is not about, from what I can tell. Um, the typical things we think of a union, right? Like healthcare, uh, time off, uh, you know, you know, breaks, pay. Mm -hmm. So to follow that, I actually went on on, uh, on Glassdoor. You wanna, uh, now granted, I looked at uh, software engineers here. Do you wanna guess what the average base pay of a senior software engineer uh, would be, uh, since that's what they said was engineers? And I'm, I'm doing a senior, I'll tell you that software engineers, uh, which is the title below, aren't, weren't altogether that different. Uh, you want to guess what the average total pay, which would include bonuses, is for a senior software engineer? Well, it's going to be regional. I mean, so well, and I should US say these they're they're this these people were listed as being U.S. Uh, all U.S. based, although across the country, and the salaries I'm looking at are U.S. Sorry, one twenty. Average base pay without uh, bonus is one hundred eighty-two thousand four hundred sixty-seven dollars. Oh. Average total pay is $205,000. So, you know, basically $33,000 of that is, is a bonus and commission, cash bonuses in this case. They also see stock bonuses in some cases of $106,000 and then profit sharing is, is separated out from that too. I'm sure not everybody gets all of these things. Um, so um, I have heard that Silicon Valley is not so much anymore with, uh, with COVID. I, there is an, an exodus, if you read about it, they call it the Texodus people moving to Miami, et cetera, but they are paying in some cases up to a half a million dollars a year for engineers uh, out, out west. So pretty interesting to see that same group of people unionizing uh, when you think of, you know, I think our gut reaction for what a union uh, was formed to do in the past. Mm -hmm. All right, in the next story, Massachusetts. I've never been to Massachusetts, have you? Never been to Boston. Uh, I you know, I have been to Boston uh, briefly. I don't know why, but I I was there and made my way to Connecticut quickly. So I didn't even get to see anything. So I've been through it. I uh, haven't actually visited. Yeah, I've been to Connecticut. I've been to Pennsylvania. 
I have been to, uh, where did you say you went to? Connecticut? Yeah, Connecticut, Pennsylvania. I've never been to Massachusetts. My wife and my daughter have been to uh, Boston. And they, uh, they said, uh, please come to Boston. And I said, no, sorry. All right. <laughs> that was a fun song. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You come home to me. Uh, boy, that was back when you could sing about rambling, right? Because people knew what that meant. You know, if, if you're rambling now, you're, you're basically a deadbeat dad, aren't you? At this point, if you're a rambling <laughs> man, you know, you're, yes. you're a loser at this point. Rambling man, don't you have a 401k? Massachusetts plans to ban the sale of new gas-powered vehicles by 2035. And by 2030, the state hopes to have more than 1 million EVs on the road. Back in September, Gavin Newsom in California uh, announced that he'd ban the sale of new gasoline and diesel-powered vehicles by 2035. Massachusetts says it now plans to do the same. As part of the state's 2050 decarbonization roadmap, which was first spotted by the Boston Globe, Governor Charlie Baker said that Massachusetts will mandate that all cars sold in the Commonwealth by, be electric by 2035. In Massachusetts, passenger vehicles currently account for about 27% of the statewide emissions. I don't know how in the world they could possibly calculate that. If the state is to have any hope of meeting its plan to reduce emissions to 45% below 1990 levels uh, by 2030 and net zero by 2050, EVs will have a significant role to play. As of last year, there were approximately 30,000 vehicles on state roads, a number that likely includes hybrids, according to government officials, to achieve 2030 emission goals, about 1 million of the more than 5.5 million projected cars registered within the state, that's just Massachusetts now, uh, by that year will need to be zero emission vehicles according to the plan without market intervention, you know what that means, fewer than 500,000 vehicles on the road are projected to be electrified by 2030, it warns. The state plans to invest quote unquote, and public charging infrastructure over the next decade to make the transition possible. Um, this stuff always scares me to tears. How about you? Absolutely. I mean, do we know that electric is definitely the direction of vehicles? Um, yeah, is, there, is there something else? So we, we build all these charging stations. Great. What if we figure out how to make a car that runs on water? Um, then all these electric charging stations are worthless. But that's kind of, you know, pie in the sky type stuff or, or forward looking. Um, it, it, it just seems like the, the logic is missing here in that all you're doing is moving the, you know, where you get the energy from one place to another. If I put gas in my car, it's direct. I take the gas, I put it in my car, my car makes an explosion and it moves forward. If it's electric, I charge my car, but to make that electricity, there had to be an explosion somewhere else. So the explosion happened somewhere else, came to my electrical outlet, I was able to charge my car. So do we gain anything or do we create more power plants to support all these electrical vehicles now? Which by the way, power plants, not so clean. I don't know, I'd call me crazy. Yeah, I'm not smart enough. Um to get to the level of detail to compare those things. I know the footprint of a Prius, for instance, I know is horrible. Um, you know, and people have said that over and over again, that you could, you know, I'll, I'll be hyperbolic here, but you could buy basically a, a 78 Cadillac and, and drive it around even at the rate of gas and emissions that it produces and, and consumes and uh, have less of an impact than what it takes to manufacture the batteries and all the system that goes into that Prius. 
You uh, manufacture sure we, them, but then you have to get rid of them too. So Prius is right. dead. Where do those batteries go? Right. And I think that's that. So all of that and then adding in the, you know, the fact that, you know, we just end up ratcheting up coal and, you know, our electrical infrastructure, you know, you know, we've, we've, I thought heard for the last 20 years from our politicians that uh, our electrical infrastructure, the grid uh, is not good, right? That, that we've got problems there and that needs to be overhauled and changed and, and rethought and re-architected and to, to just sort of by fiat say that we have to um, put this incredible load on top of that infrastructure. I mean, number one, it would seem to suggest that's going to also force an untold cost here, which is improving that infrastructure, not just plugging charging stations into it, but rebuilding that grid to make it a smart grid. Um, I, it, 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 this whole thing sort of terrifies me because it's the government messing with the market and I just don't like it. It reminds me of the whole cash for clunkers thing where, you know, we all lost access to reasonably priced used cars overnight. Right. Um, mm-hmm. That was, that was a, a, a jolt to the economy. Um, and it was not, not just to, to, to us too, but to use car dealerships, right. Who lost their inventory. Uh, right. And this, there are unintended consequences and I just don't like stuff done by fiat. You know what I'm saying, man? I get it. I'm there. All right. Well, that uh, maybe gives us some sort of a hint as to our topic today, which is going to be, well, we're going to call it Congress because the government's about, what, 10 million miles wide if it was something we're going to look at in terms of surface area and probably 10 billion leagues deep. Uh, It's just huge. We're going to focus on one area, but it seems like a good spot to start. Hey, this is This Much I Know, the instrumental version, uh, Mark Aline, coming out soon later this month. Enjoy it. We'll be back in just a minute. Okay, let's make a better podcast. Segment number two coming at you, coming at you live. Was that uh, Motley Crue or Poison coming at you live? No, Tesla, right? Tesla, Tesla. yeah. Mm-hmm. Tesla's Everybody. a great example of a band. I listen to the first thirty seconds of all of their songs and I get bored. I, I, I'll admit that. I can admit that in twenty twenty one and not be embarrassed. I love Tesla. I'm going to admit that in twenty twenty one. I love them. Hey. Uh, speaking of coming at you live, I saw him live, man. I saw Tesla live. Uh, I think I saw Tesla with Great White, if I'm able to remember properly. Just once? Oh, no, I've seen them more than once. Okay, yeah, I've seen them uh, with Def Leppard a number of times. And uh, did they open for Poison? I don't think so. Maybe it's just been Def Leppard. Yeah. I was going to make a I was going to make a one-handed drummer joke and... Uh, I decided that I was a bigger person than that, so I decided not to make a one-handed drummer jump about Def, or joke about Def Leppard. I think I'm growing as a person because I was I ready to. I think I kind of want to hear the joke. No, it, it never really. Also, I have to admit that uh, it never really came to fruition in my head to the point where it'd be funny. I just the, the idea <laughs> of a one-handed drummer always makes me giggle, which it shouldn't because uh, he's incredibly talented. And um, but but that being said, we'll just not let that be said, right? All right, let's make a better podcast segment number two. You know, um, so we kind of had a lot of different theories, didn't we, when we started to talk about government, 
whether it's uh, some of the unintended consequences with things the government does, maybe some of the false truths or they don't call it lies anymore. What do we call it? Mis misleadings? Isn't that what they say? Misleadings? Isn't that the euphemism that's used by our officials these days? Is that what it is? I don't, I don't know. I just call it lies. But um, I'm good with misleadings. That's, that's fine. Yeah. yeah, I think it's misleadings, I think, is how we say that um, so that we don't hurt anybody's feelings, um, which is strange. Uh, we could have gone a lot of different directions. Um, I kind of threw out, let's just talk about Congress, because we're going to have probably several shows on different aspects of what the government is, because I can think building permits, that's pretty close to my heart. I can think uh, the DMV, I can think about liquor laws, I could think about, um, you know, some certain traffic laws, I can think about, you know, the taxes and general income tax, certainly the president, certainly governors, mayors, all of that stuff. But for me, it, you know, we got to focus on one area, right? So we're going to focus on, on Congress. Are you in? Are you in? I'm in. I'm in. Let's do this. And I got to admit, this is almost as bad as Facebook. I don't know how you make something like Congress better. Um, but, you know, I, I think I do know, but I'll, I'll get to that in, in a minute. I had an observation on my 11 days off. Would you like to hear my observation? An epiphany? Or an nope. observation? No, nope. it was an observation. And actually, I had about three observations. Um, but I'm going to just give you one now, and I'll save the other two for other nights, because, again, we don't want to do a four-hour podcast. So here was my observation. There's a great deal being made about the fact that the, the country seems to be split, right? 50-50. And it's, it's shown in our elections. So, you know, you're about my age when we grew up um, – you know, look at I, somebody just recently showed me the, the Reagan election right against Mondale, where he had uh, what 358 electoral votes to three. Uh, yeah, there was really slide. right, and and same with with Carter. There was really no question of of who won that election or not. And my my just general understanding is that's how elections went, right? You didn't have it be within a thousand votes or a hundred votes or 200,000 votes, even that close, right? It was, it was, it was close in the sense that the way we think of airplanes passing in the sky, when they say, Ooh, that jetliner crossed within five miles on another plane. And we all go, Ooh, you know, I mean that it wasn't close enough to be a crash, but it was, it was relatively close when you looked at elections. Well now, since what Bush v. Gore in 2000, these things are neck and neck, right? And we're getting to the point where it's, you know, 100 votes here and 100 votes there make, make all the difference. And we make a big deal about the fact that, well, the country just seems to be split. You know, we got half this group and half that group. And of course, that's also turned into these huge, um, very vocal sort of, uh, what's, what's the word, um, rabid supporters on either side of that line, right? Um, that they're spit, these loud people. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're at each other's throats now. It's no longer, there's, there's no longer a middle. There's not a common ground where we can meet and shake hands. That's gone. You're, you're left or you're right. There, well, but no here's middle. my observation. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think it's true, but I think it's not, I think it's true outwardly, but I don't think it's true inwardly. And here's what I mean. It's long been said in Congress and seen and demonstrated James Carville was married, I think, to Marley Matlin, right? That's going to show up in a mistakes were made version of this podcast in the future, if I'm wrong. But I think it was Marley Matlin, and she and he was she was married to uh, James Carville. And actually, now I think Marley Matlin is the deaf actress, so I think I've got that wrong. So I'll just go ahead and look that up. James Carville' wife is ah Mary Matlin, not Marley. There you go. So she was married to, to Mary Matlin. James Carville, very famous uh, Democratic Democrat 
strategist, Marion Matlin, very famous Republican strategist, right? Very, you know, this is all during the, the, the Clinton years and the Bush years, incredible amount of, of, of venom, right, between the two groups at the time. But yet these two are married. Well, it's been very clear. These people just, this is a job for them. The, they may spew all of this rhetoric, but at the end of the day, they don't, they may believe this crap, but they'll, they'll jump sides and follow wherever their paycheck goes. They don't care. And when you look at these elections now and the campaigns, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars are spent on these campaigns, hundreds of millions of dollars. And the people who work on these campaigns are professionals, uh, professional campaign workers, campaign managers, marketeers, um, even the media are professional, right? The, the reporters who work on the campaigns, these are professionals, this is what they do. This is their number one priority, right? So this now has become uh, an engine within the engine. And so where I'm getting at with this is when there's that much investment and there's that much dedication and competency, quote unquote, within the relevancy of what they're doing in these, in these elections, the natural conclusion is that you're going to have two teams essentially built that are super teams, right? They're, they're all the, 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 the 1990s dream team for the Olympics on both sides. So what are they going to do if they're all the best marketers and they're all getting all of this money and they're all pressing the same to the same goal? Well, you're kind of going to end up with best case 50-50. It's a stalemate, right? They're going to end up with uh, the case where they're going to all rile up a certain bunch of people on one side and a certain bunch of people on the other side. And then they're going to get to a point where neither group can win without the other group losing a little. And so it's going to just kind of tug a war back and forth and back and forth. And that was the observation I made. And I think what mistake we sometimes make is we think that's a fair representation of the country. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think you've got a lot of noise that you hear in a percentage of people, but I'm not so certain that there isn't still a middle, that there isn't a reasonable common sense middle. Uh, and the way we look at how these elections work out, just because of the way they function, I don't think it's a fair representation of us. Uh, do you agree with that or am I, am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy. Um, I don't know that I necessarily agree. I like where you're going with it. Let me let me put that out there. I mean, they, these are, are paid professionals to say, um, let's let's make sure that we get most of the vote. That's that's our goal. Um, <clears throat> I don't know that they're trying to get all the vote because I don't think you can satisfy everyone. But like you said, make the other side lose by a little bit. Um, I still think that we're, we're divided though. I, I think that, so I look at social media where you, you take the pros out. Um, I have friends on both sides of the aisle. Uh, it, during election cycles, we, we kind of hate each other. Uh, we, we come together after the election's over, but during the election, holy cow, at each other's throats. Um, so I, I agree that, that you have the professionals um, in there that are making the elections kind of split 50-50, but at the same time, um, I just, it seems like we've, we've been programmed where if you side mostly with this group, then you have to be all in 100% or you're a bad person. Um, and if you side mostly with this other group, you have to be all in 100% or you're a bad person. So nobody wants to be a bad person. So it's like, yeah, even though I don't really believe that, I'm just going to say that I do because I want to side with this group. So you and I are, are good rural boys. 
um, let me only take it at take take you on a different direction to the same ends. Ford versus Chevy, right? Uh, Silverado versus an F one fifty. If we're reasonable, if you and I are reasonable people, if somebody offered you a twenty twenty one Silverado or a twenty twenty one F one fifty one or the other, would you take it and be happy? Would you feel like you got a really nice vehicle? So I'm not given a choice. Or you're saying here? Yeah, here's your free people. vehicle. Here's your free vehicle. Um, well, I'm not going to turn down a 2021 Silverado. I'd be driving and thinking, man, I wish this was a Ford, but I'm not going to turn it down. Right. Now, think. so that I think is a great way to look at where politics is supposed to be. I mean, the end of the day, uh, we're supposed to be able to say, well, I've got these two competent people. Now, that's that's where we probably need to pivot to next. But I've got these two competent people and I'm going to pick the one that I like better, that matches my needs better. But I also realize that it's not the end of the world. And maybe in some cases, it's just A-OK if I end up with the other. And yet, I, I picked the Ford versus Chevy thing because you and I as good rural boys know there are a lot of rural bars in which if you wear a, wear a Ford hat or a Chevy hat, you might be in an argument for an hour with the drunk guy at the end of the bar, right? You are Who's correct. Tell you, yep. you are absolutely wrong. And the same would be true if I walk in, uh, in uh, we're in Minnesota here, if I walk into a northern Minnesota bar with, a, with an Arctic hat jacket on instead of a Polaris jacket. Oh, boy. Right. It's the exact same deal. Now, those are stupid arguments, right? Now, I'll, I'll, I'll say that very carefully because it's not stupid to everybody. But really, in the end of the day, it's kind of a stupid argument. You're talking about a one $50,000 truck versus another $50,000 truck, one $18,000 snowmobile against another $18,000 snowmobile. You're talking about my $27,000 Harley against your $27,000 Indian. Um, really where you ended up should be, well, I'll take it. I, you know, it'll be a nice vehicle, although I'd rather get the one I could choose. That's where you should end up with politics. Um, what I think we've, what we see happening is a natural tendency with human nature where, again, the marketeers and the, the media are really good at driving this sense of urgency and passion and emotion in certain people and they get all ginned up that this is the most important thing in the whole wide world. And as a result of that, you get this, you know, just almost now uh, pandemonium among the two parties of hate, uh, where if, if not only if you get elected, is it somebody different that has a different view than me, you're going to end the country. You're going to cause the world to end with global warming, or you're going to blow up, uh, blow up half of the world with nuclear war. Right. I mean, this this is a pretty extremes now that we're starting to drive towards with people. And that's, again, sort of the natural end when you get these two. I don't know. That was my observation. Anyway, I'll stop dictating this as truth. But when you get these two groups that are essentially the best possible offense and the best possible defense uh, for two different football teams, what happens? Right. If the best offense goes against the best defense in both directions, is it a tie? Or, or is it a, you know, a, a three to zero game at the end? And that seems to be what we're getting with all of these very close elections. I agree. So let's talk about the idea of a competent politician. Did you see this week the uh, opening prayer uh, for the uh, House of Representatives? Uh, amen and a women. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, here, I should have actually queued this up so that I could play it for anybody who, who didn't uh, see it. Um, but actually, you know what? The very first thing that uh, I hit was Snopes. What does Snopes say about this? Snopes says, 
that it was correct. So let's see if if I actually have a uh, if I have a, have a video here that I can play. Oh, no, it's not. I'm not finding it very quickly, so I'm not going to waste my time. Yeah. So here here it is. This this fellow whose name is actually I know I do have it here somewhere. And I don't have it in front of me. I gotta I gotta go find it now. Now I gotta go find it. Do you remember the guy's I, name? Uh, I do not. Cleaver. There we go. So uh, Representative Emanuel Cleaver. And as I understand it, he's actually a reverend, uh, strangely, uh, ended his prayer uh, and, and said that uh, amen and a woman. Uh, I guess the, the, the reverend confused thinking that amen uh, actually wasn't a Hebrew word that meant something else, uh, but rather that someone was actually trying to say a as in a singular man, I guess. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, that's probably the most recent example of the level of intelligence that some of our representatives seem to have. Yeah, intelligence or ignorance. Um, uh, yeah. So another one that uh, sparked uh, my memory was Guam. Do you remember Guam? The, uh, the island? Was, was that the island that might flip over if you place too many troops on it? That's exactly what it was. And it was Georgia, a Georgia congressman, another Democrat in this case. But yeah, we were, gonna, we were building a Marine base on Guam. And uh, there was a, I think it was a chairman of the Joint Chiefs or something. I, I should have looked all this up ahead of time. It's kind of stream of consciousness tonight. Who said, uh, you know, was talking about this expenditure and about this huge troop buildup and base we we're going to put on Guam. And that's what the, 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 the representative, I think it was, did I say senator or representative? Doesn't matter. Congressman said, my main, main concern is if we put that many Marines on the island, that the island could capsize and flip over. Um, you know, and at the, when we landed on Mars, right, when the land, Mars rover landed, we had another senator who asked for them to pan the camera around so we could see where the flag that the astronauts planted in the 60s was at. Um, these, I mean, I, it's not surprising. I have this theory that 20% of all employees have some level of incompetence at every company. And the larger the, 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 the business, the more old the business, the, you know, the more you know, concrete the business that isn't kind of living hand to foot the more percentage of incompetence that you have. Um, but it's pretty darn scary that these people get elected as representatives and keep getting reelected as representatives and, and don't appear to be even, even capable of, of just living amongst us with, with just common reasoning, right? I mean, that's pretty scary stuff. No, I, I like to think that they have their wheelhouse. And I think many of these people uh, that are in Congress are probably lawyers or something along those lines, which good for them, but maybe they should stick to their wheelhouse and not worry about islands flipping over because obviously physical geography is not their strong suit. Boy, you're letting them off easy, aren't you? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I have a hard time with that. So, so let's, let's look at it. Let's look at it another way. So there is a growing, so we just talked about in the last segment, in that case, a state legislature, but pushing towards the idea of um, changing the market, you know, mandating electric vehicles, not just that we want to invest in electric vehicles, but mandating that you can't buy a combustible engine car uh, after 2035, which is really only 14 years from now. Well, that's the government picking winners and losers, right? We think electric should win, so we're going to direct you that way by law. But, you know, so let's, let's conflate these two things together now. You've got a, 
uh, a gr- bunch of professionals, as I've said, who, who know how to be in government. They, they, it doesn't really matter which side of the policy engine they're on. Again, Matlin and, and Carville were married, right, on opposite sides of, of, of the aisle. Uh, these are people who, I, who you know are trading employees back and forth as people are working their way up and getting promoted. They're probably working for a Democrat as an as a assistant at one point, and then they get a higher ranking job for a Republican at another. So all of the infrastructure that goes around these representatives, they, they just don't appear to have any allegiances to anything other than the government itself. The Congress people themselves don't seem to have a whole lot of allegiance uh, to anything other than themselves. And yet they're setting these policies that have such impact on the rest of us. And we give them so much power and so much control. And it seems to be a, an escalating amount of power and control. They're, they're, they're getting more involved in our everyday life than they've ever been before, including mandating what kind of car I can buy. Yeah, the, the overreach is, is incredible at this point. Um, you know, picking winners and losers, telling you what kind of car you can buy. Uh, they, they tell you what kind of food you can eat. It's outrageous. And there, there doesn't seem to be any check in place in the media for hypocrisy or for, um, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for, where it seems like on one hand, you can have, and I'll pick on the Democrats right now, you can have a group that says nobody should own a gun and no one should have guns other than law enforcement. And then on the other hand, they want to defund law enforcement right? And take, take guns out of law enforcement hands too, right? Mm-hmm. So there's always contradictions. That's the word I was looking for. Um, that constantly confused me where it seems like if you're a liberal minded person, then you want to be more free, free to do whatever you want, free to be left, left to your own, whether it's, whether it's sexual liberation or drugs or, or whatever else, right? You want to be left free, even to the extent that you don't think private property should exist on the farthest end of the liberal spectrum, right? We've heard that all summer. Uh, but yet at the same time, that's the group that pushes for more and more government power and government control, right? Which, which translates to stronger war powers and stronger police forces and more usurpation of, of, of rights and liberties and things of that nature. Um, why, why don't we see that contradiction uh, recognized more in the media? I, I, it bothers me and, and baffles me, to be honest with you. I'm going to dial it back to a few episodes. We talked about the media, and it's no longer news, it's propaganda. So there's something driving that machine to make it not factual, but more opinionated, and it's it's leaning one direction or the other. Um, I'll leave it up to the listeners to decide what direction it's, le- it's leaning, but it, it's driving change based upon the values and I, ideals of of a group, whatever that group may be. So you, you can't depend upon the, the news anymore because it, it doesn't allow you to form your own opinion. It tells you what your opinion should be. It, is it as simple again as saying that in our media and in our politicians, we have people that don't exist outside those roles? I mean, those are supposed to be not so much the media, well, kind of the media, right? The media was designed to report news, right? Generally to go out and report news. Uh, but they've now become a part of the Washington scene. They're now a, an embedded part of that Washington scene to the extent that they know how to play the game as well as the, the, the reps and the senators do. Uh, likewise, the, 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 certainly the senators and the reps 
are playing a much different game than you and I think they're playing, right? They're, they're, they're making backroom deals and they're making all kinds of arrangements that suddenly aren't illegal and aren't nefarious and aren't weird. Uh, but yet I think if we were asked whether that's things they should be doing, we wouldn't agree with them. So like point, point in, in order here, this whole $600 stimulus check of which we've all heard about, um, you know, there's so much pork in these bills and I don't, I don't even care which party we're talking about right now. And I'm not even smart enough to be able to go toe to toe on that anymore. But there's so much pork that's in there in terms of money being spread around to other people. They're, they're working in a, in, a, in, a, in a reality that's so different than what the rest of us think they're working in. And in fact, they're working contrary to us most of the time, right? They're, they're kind of set apart in an island rather than representing us. Representation is gone. Um, these are, are now people who think that they're in a position of power um, and, and uh, they don't serve us, we serve them. Uh, it's completely flipped on the head from what our founding fathers were hoping for. Why, we had a, a, a local um, politician here that, that stood in the middle of the street and threatened to burn a whole city down, right? And he got reelected this year, right? Yes. Um, was he reelected or was he a new? I believe um, he was incumbent. Okay, okay. Well, he may have been actually running to fill a seat. I don't know. It's not my district. Um, I, only, I know the news story. I don't, I don't, I guess I, I could look it up. I kind of, again, stream of consciousness here. Um, but there is, again, Ford versus Chevy. Um, there has been now this marketing engine again that has managed to gin up um, voters that I have to be on one side or the other. I can't use my brain anymore beyond that. I can't possibly see myself voting for somebody who doesn't have the right letter behind their name uh, because this is the side I've chosen. Um, this is good versus evil. This is Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker. I have to pick my side and I can't go to the dark side, whichever side the dark side is for you. Luke Skywalker blew up the Death Star that had probably millions of people working on it. So was he a really good guy? I don't well, know. Han Solo shot first in the in the version of Star Wars that I prefer to see. So I I, I hear exactly what you're saying. I, it's this is this is a rambly episode because where the hell do you start when you want to talk about Congress and the government? Because we haven't even gotten into the stuff that they're doing really, or how they speak or say or, or what they say or how they function. Um, but it is a frustrating state of reality when you turn on the TV or you turn on or you open up Twitter and you see the rhetoric, not just from them, but you realize that there's this emanation of, of phraseology. Is that a word? Um, it is now. It's an echo chamber, right? And it seems like the same words coming out of different mouths. Uh, and, you know, to, to a person who gets really weird, really worried about group think, um, it scares me to death when you see people protesting and, and screaming out words that, that are just being recited from something someone told them to yell. And when you see people who are just repeating the same rhetoric over and over and over again, um, you know, again, regardless which side you're on, uh, and I don't mean to be apathetic in that way, but regardless of what side you're on, it just doesn't seem like anybody's thinking anymore. Uh, nobody's thinking, nobody's doing their research. Uh, I mean, if you if you actually research the candidates, once you find some stuff that goes, wow, this person is not intelligent, and maybe you'd vote a different way. 
That is an excellent point. And it reminds me of something I'm going to bring up at the backside of this break. We went a little bit over on that segment. We'll try and do better next time. Uh, but we will see you in a few minutes. This is Mark Aloine Music bumping us out. Let's make a better podcast. See you in two and two. I dropped out of that last uh, segment with two and two. That was my Chuck Woolery impression. How good was it? It was very nice. I liked it a lot. No, it wasn't. It sucked. It sucked. <laughs> it's okay. You can say that it sucked. It's fine. You know, it doesn't matter. You can do any impression you want as long as you put the right accent on it. Like Chuck Woolery might say it. Hey, well, uh, we'll be back in two and two, you know. <laughs> that See, was your that's... Indian accent, I think. Wasn't that your East <laughs> Indian accent from the other day? <laughs> we know uh, yeah, yeah. accents are not your thing. They're just yeah. not. I think everybody sounds like a Minnesotan. Yeah, exactly. You, you sound like, uh, well, oh, okay, I'm not going to go there. Again, apparently uh, my filter is off tonight. Where I was going, I, uh, I, I, should not, I should not go. Let's make it better podcast. We're going to wrap up the whole congressional discussion. So let's, let, let, let me take a step back here a little bit. Uh, because there's one thing I don't want to forget to talk about. You mentioned uh, how difficult it is to research um, representatives and things. Um, so you've got the House, you've got the Senate. Uh, you've got the House that runs every, and we're talking about federal now, they run every two years, the Senate runs every six years. Uh, we have a Speaker of the House who's essentially, the, you know, usually voted on from the, I think has to be from the majority party, but maybe doesn't have to be, but typically is because that's how the vote works. Uh, you've got the Vice President who's the President of the Senate and is there to be a tiebreaker in case it goes to a 50-50 tie. And then you've got the veto power of the president who can, you know, come in and veto things. And then, of course, again, the House and the Senate can override those vetoes. There's just some basic things that I think people get confused about. Um, for instance, people tend to blame whichever party we're talking about now. If the opposite party is in the White House, they blame the White House for spending. Um, I've never understood that one. Um, the legislature writes all laws and, and basically writes the budget. Right now, Absolutely. the president can submit a budget, but that's not the one they vote on. Right. They may use that. It may go to a, it goes to the, you know, the, I'll call it the budget committee. But it's the legislature that writes this stuff. The president simply signs it into law or not. Right. So that's a right. first level of confusion that I think always bugs me. Uh, then there's this idea that um, the 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 House and the Senate vote on things. Um, and yet you find out that they really don't always, like we have all of these cases, like didn't Barack Obama famously vote present 90 sometimes or something when he was a center, some un unbelievable number like that. Um, I know Nancy Pelosi was just narrowly elected as uh, Speaker of the House and five uh, Democrats did not vote, not did not vote for her, simply did not vote. Right. Um, that also amazes me. Um, so there's some just basic concepts. Then the, the, the other thing is, I think people, we've talked about this before too, people tend to look at the federal government as sort of the parent and the states as the children. And that's not true either, right? I mean, they're, they're all really pretty much peers uh, with the exception of the fact that there are some things, the 10th Amendment would say, that those things that you know, essentially aren't already documented here in the Constitution are reserved for the states. Um, so is this a problem with civics where people just don't really understand anymore how these 
legislative bodies are constructed and what powers they have or shouldn't have? Well, I think that there should be a civics course for anyone, anyone entering a government, uh, you know, uh, sorry, I'm rambling, but as an elected official, you need a basic civics course. Um, understand how, how things are structured, how they work, because if you don't, you're going to make mistakes. And that civics course include a question about whether or not Guam will flip over if you put too many Marines on it? I don't know if that's physics or not, but I mean, you should have a basic IQ test too. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I just, when we look at what Congress is supposed to do, um, this is, when I, when I said earlier, I think there is a way to fix things. Um, we are the way to fix this thing. Uh, if, if you take a step back and you look at the, the structures that our founding fathers built, right? Which are, yes, they're, they're echoes of prior attempts at making a democracy through history. But it has lasted, you know, almost 250 years. Are we at 250 years yet? 1776. Not quite. 76 was 200. Yeah, we're getting close. Five yeah. more years, six more years. I don't know. I can't do math. Yeah, I'm not going to either. I've had a, I've had a, that's my whiskey glass and it's now empty, so I won't be doing math either. But we, right, so we've had this around, right? And generally speaking, with the exception of the fact that not everybody always gets what they want and human beings have improperly written some things into the documentation they shouldn't have, which for the most part has been rectified, or not for the most part, I shouldn't say it that way. Many of those things have been rectified. Um, the structure is pretty darn good. Right, we just talked about that. The House is supposed to write laws that moves to the Senate to be ratified, then it goes to the president for signature. Then the Supreme Court can, can override any laws that it finds to be unconstitutional that don't live up to it. The, the federal government really isn't supposed to have dominion over the states, uh, rather interstate commerce, as well as you know, dealing with matters of international concern. And then each of the states, therefore, have their own ability to have their own governments to govern their own land close to home, right? And that no, nothing is more true than your own local school board, right? Your own local school board uh, manages your your children's education, your your children's experience, et cetera, right? That's as close to home as it can be. Yeah. Um, um, so you mentioned checks and balances. You mentioned local, but even local, we talked earlier about how professionals have come into play. And now at the school level, you have professional lobbyists come in and say, vote for this this school referendum or your children will die. Uh, so now schools are even raking in on the uh, on my my tax dollars. So very well, few have to give. Yeah, and I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but there, there, that could be a whole episode too. Um, when you talk about when these school bonding referendums come through, uh, and they're, you know, let's say a thirty million dollar bonding referendum, and now the school board isn't just putting an ad in the newspaper or inviting you to come to a meeting, you know, they're spending a hundred thousand dollars on a marketing firm from Chicago uh, to come up here and build an ad campaign uh, to sway the voter. Um, when I first heard that, I, I, I couldn't believe it was true, right? I thought this must be a scandal. Uh, but no, that's just what we do. And it also comes from the fact that superintendents uh, and principals now jump from school to school and municipality to municipality because they too are no longer just a part of the community. Uh, they are just, again, a professional school person, a professional school leader, if you will. Now, there are pros and cons to that. And I guess that's what I was going to get to. There are pros and cons to professional 
government uh, representatives. You'd think they would be really good at being able to get things done. You'd think they'd be really good at being civil. Uh, and in fact, what they are is really good at building a structure that's apart from the purpose that was defined for them uh, and protecting their own phony baloney jobs. Uh, that to me, we've built the right structure. Um, uh, Friedman in the 70s, the economist, when he was asked about who he was going to vote for in the next election, he said, you know, that's not the way I want to think about politicians. Basically, I'll paraphrase. He said, I don't want to have to always be relied upon or have my fellow man relied upon to vote for the right person into office. Instead, I want to build a infrastructure or structure or process that incents the wrong person to do the right thing. I mean, I want to have a government in which if the wrong person gets elected, in my view, I at least want that wrong person to still be incentive to support free trade, to support liberty, support freedom, to, to make sure that you know, people can, can continue to do what they need to do in you know, the greatest country uh, on the planet. Um, that's what we've seen lost, right? Um, we've now reduced everything down to your side versus my side, uh, and we've lost the true argument. Everything now is Ford versus Chevy. It's not the true argument. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, we're 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 arguing over sides now. We're not we're not arguing over issues anymore. Yeah. You just said it better than I could. Um, I really believe. Again, I don't think we're a split country. I think if you get to the farthest left and the farthest right, first of all, they're the same person. They all want to break into my house and steal what I'm doing. Right. They, they don't want me doing something. It may be different things, but they both don't want me doing something. Uh, they both want to get my, their hand in my pocket. Um, you know, th there's there's definitely that truth. And I'm you know, wherever this uh, fictional middle is, it's probably not one place. There's middle on lots of issues. You know, uh, it, I just don't believe that we're really that divided. I think what we are is we've been uh, we've been. Uh, We've been marginalized, frankly, and we've been smashed between two marketing engines. And you'll see it on Twitter, right? The people who are the loudest, I mean, those are the ones to me that have been swept up and that have just drank the Kool-Aid fully uh, and, and believe all that crap. Um, the only way that we're going to get out from underneath that is if we can convince those people, not the politicians, but those people, the Kool-Aid drinkers, to stop drinking that Kool-Aid, to back away and stop uh, feeding this beast. The unfortunate thing is the beast has grown so darn large uh, that it can just take its food now, right? We don't, we don't really have as much control as we used to have. For sure. And, and you don't need to be programmed anymore. Um, it, this isn't the matrix. It's not real. Uh, take some time. Think for yourself. And if you don't align with one side or another, call yourself in the middle and be brave and, and state, I'm in the middle. If nothing else, fundamentally, something should be wrong with the fact that when a bill gets passed, we don't understand it. We can't read it. It's 5,000 pages long now, and we can't possibly understand what's in it, and neither can they. Um, we don't necessarily have a line of sight to our representatives anymore to the extent where we feel like it matters. I mean, nobody here feels like having sending an email to their representative would do anything. That's a fundamental problem. That shouldn't be that way. Mm -hmm. uh, those are areas where we probably first need to 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 look at and solve, right? Um, and until we do that, it's just it's just going to get uglier and worse. 
uh, at this point, because right now it's, they've managed to distract us all into fighting with one another and not even fighting over real issues anymore. Now we're fighting over we versus they. Yeah, and I, I think that our founding fathers uh, didn't have the foresight on this one thing, and that was the, uh, the, the population growth that we'd have in the United States. So way back when we had representatives, they were representing a few thousand people at a time. Now, a representative is representing hundreds of thousands of people at a time. So you mentioned the email campaign. They're not just getting 10, 15 emails. They're getting thousands of emails that all say the same thing. And it's probably something that was pushed from a party to say, email your congressman this. Um, and so it, it's even almost like a form letter. So how do, you, how do you weed through the hundreds of thousands of form letters that you have in your inbox? Well, this made me feel bad. I was feeling good. It was the new year. Why did we pick Congress? I can't find anything good. I can't even find a stream of consciousness on this topic. It's just ugly, isn't it? Congress lost me when uh, um, you know, AOC said to pay for um, Medicare for all or socialized medicine, we could just use the co-pays and the co-insurance that the people are currently paying. <laughs> okay, yeah. checking out. I've lost it. People voted for this. Well, and maybe that's the maybe that's the answer too. Is well, number one, term limits, right? Um, we can't have that. Just incense professional politicians. We need to have professionals, you know, accountants, plumbers, uh, truck drivers, people like that, go and start serving. Someone knows um, something about economics. Somebody can balance a checkbook, right? Oh, yeah. perfect. That would be nice. That'd be yeah. a fabulous change. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not even saying you have to have a balanced budget because sometimes that can be difficult. And, you know, end of the day, I'd rather the citizens have a balanced budget than the government. You know, I, I think that's that's OK. Um, but, yeah, we need to have people who are a bit more competent. All right. Have we beat this one to death? I'm tired of that one. Are we done? Are we done with that one? I, th I think we need to have another episode and move on to the next oh. government related topic. So just like we did with Facebook, we have to have like some huge buffer though between these topics. We can't do a, another government episode for a while. Someday we'll do income tax and that, then we'll have to have an IV for about two weeks yeah, uh, after I that. Agree, so maybe, maybe Easter weekend, we can do that one when I know I'm going to have a week off. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to roll in to, to round out uh, this episode with another occurrence of the big question segment. Uh, we debuted the big question a couple of weeks ago. Uh, actually, when we talked about Facebook, we talked about whether it was easier to get a new friend or keep a friend. And these are just sort of large idioms or axioms or cliches or, you know, things we throw out that uh, we're going to just throw out there and then kind of deconstruct, dissect a little bit and talk through. And tonight's big question is uh, the KISS method. Keep it simple, stupid. So my question to you, sir, and I'm going to let you start because I actually, in this case, did send you the question ahead of time. So you've had time to think about it, or at least you've had time to ignore it. So that's your fault. The big question, keep it simple, stupid. So is simpler really better? From where I sit, simpler is better. The easiest way to get from point A to point B is the best way. Um, so when I'm trying to explain something to somebody, let me just get there instead of trying to dance around it or uh, soften it or whatever it may be. Let me just get there. Um, so I'm trying to present something, make a case argument for something. Simpler I keep it, 
the more it makes sense, the easier it is for people to see my point of view. So I agree with you, but I would add a different twist. So I think simple um, is always what you're targeting. I mean, that's what you want in the end game. That's your outcome. But I think the approach to simple, we often uh, go about it the wrong way. And here, here's what I mean. So think of like the mousetrap game. Um, there's no simpler components than a marble and an old bathtub and some shoots, right? I mean, that's, that's all simple. And, you know, if you've ever sat down to create, you know, one of those domino tracks or, or, or one of those sort of Rube Goldberg machines, you know, it always starts out as just a bunch of simple little things put together. Well, and it becomes incredibly complex and complicated, right? And that's the problem with simple. What we want is an actual simple outcome. And sometimes it takes something complex in order to achieve simple. Uh, there's a, uh, in computer science, there's a, uh, uh, I don't know if he's a doctor or not, but he's a well-quoted um, person named Gall, John Gall, I think. Um, or is it John Galtz and Ayn Rand? So maybe I've got the wrong name, but it's definitely Gall because it's Gall's law. And Gall's law basically states that um, no complex system has ever been conceived and built that actually worked, but rather every complex system is actually made up of a whole bunch of small systems that worked first and then were put together to make that big system. Uh, and so the idea there is you end up with something that's simple because it works, right? In that case, it's, it's, a, it's a large, you know, kind of conglomerate of complexity made up of a whole bunch of simple components. And I'll, I'll give you one more example. I because I, I go through this one all the time when I'm in a rental car and it's the, the car stereo. Somewhere around the late 90s, early 2000s, we decided to make car stereos quote unquote simple. And we did the same thing, by the way, with clock radios in a hotel room. And the way the engineers decided they were gonna achieve simple is by reducing the number of buttons. So I'm, and we've done this by the way with microwaves would be another great example. Microwaves are the same way, coffee pots work this way too. We, somebody said buttons are complicated. We got to have less buttons. There's too many buttons. So now you get down to like three buttons. Well, the problem is you still have functions you have to do on that clock radio, right? And on the, you know, on the car stereo. And so now that those three buttons each have, you know, 13 different functions and modes depending on the progression of how you press them. So to get that simple appearance, it had to become incredibly complex and they didn't achieve simple in the end. They achieved something that's confusing. So simple is actually really hard to get to. And I think the hardest thing with simple is just agreeing on what simple means. Yeah, you've got a definition problem. So uh, going back to your example of uh, a lot of simple things are put together to make something complex, that makes sense. I mean, if we look at machines, you have uh, simple machines, which is what the lever, the screw, what's the other one? There's a third one there. Not the fulcrum, what is it? Uh, dodge, does dodge go in there somewhere? Yeah, lever, lever, screw, dodge, we'll go with that. Yeah. Um, this will end up in a mistakes episode, but anyway, <laughs> you have your, your three simple machines of the third one, I forget. Um, oh, the wheel. Probably a pulley, oh. or a pulley. How about pulley, a pulley? Pulley, pulley, pulley. lever, um, screw. All right, so you've got three simple machines. But of those three simple machines, you can create something that makes industrial bags that hold mulch that's a really poor example but think about what goes into making those bags it's an entire uh, it's an entire factory that makes these 
bags that holds this mulch. Um, and, and throughout that, that entire factory, you have the pulleys, the screws, the levers. Um, so yes, it does take a bunch of simple things put together to make something complex. But if I was going to explain it to somebody how this bag is made, I don't talk about each individual, individual screw, lever, and pulley. I say, we start with plastic, we put it through this machine, and out comes this bag. Right, and you, so, you've, you've achieved a simple outcome, right? But it took complexity to get there. Absolutely, but I don't have to explain the complexity. I have to explain the simplicity. Right, exactly, exactly. And it's one of the things where, um, you know, when, if we had Mark on, we could ask him, but right, there's what, seven notes in music, really? I mean, you have different octaves and you have different keys and all of that, but yeah, reality, dope, right? What's that? Do is dope. Right, yeah, do is, exactly. And think of the complexity of music, right? And music still being produced today uh, that has enough variant that it's a distinct song. And yet it's all done with those just seven basic notes, right? Or maybe I guess if you want to argue 12 notes, depending on which side of that spectrum you're on, but either way, it's a pretty small darn number. Um, so, you know, simple is, I think, uh, imperative to create simple as well as to create complex. I think you can't create simple from complex, but you can create complex from simple. And maybe that's the only way to create complex. Is that, is that fair? I think it's fair. Well, I guess we agreed on one thing, at least today. We agreed on that. Uh, we agree we can, we're, we're done. How about that? We're, we're, we're done. We're it's done. over. <sighs> hey, Call here's it. this Mark Adelwine music. Check that out. We've been bumping it. What's this one called again? Um, I don't know. It's some this much I know, something like that. We I should give it more respect. It, it is called this much I know, and it is a fantastic song. Again, uplifting, happy, and it uh, includes the uh, newly invented eighth note. Um, I didn't know if you know that or not. It's the eighth note. Uh, he had to put a ninth string on his guitar. Uh, it actually goes around the body of the guitar, though. It doesn't go from headstock. Down to the uh, down to the bottom, it just goes around the guitar. Right. So he, on the six-string guitar, he added a a ninth string. Well, you caught that, huh? Yeah, yeah. He added uh, two more first, and uh, you know those two are really there just to kind of hold the uh, ninth string in place. That goes around the body of the guitar, and that's how he gets the note. And you can hear it, right? You know, it's it's in there. You got to listen close. But a uh, train here. You can hear it, I'm sure. You've got a trained ear, right? You can, you can hear that. Absolutely. Perfect yeah, pitch. I, I would hope you could hear it. I could hope. All right. Big, big thanks to Mark Aloine. This much I know. Dropping later this month in January? Mid-January. Mid-January. Very cool. And uh, we, we appreciate you guys taking the time. We appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. Follow us uh, online. Follow us on Twitter. Let's make it bet, too. Uh, wherever you found this podcast, and we're on all of them. We're on the, on the uh, Spotify. We're on the Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're on Anthem. Uh, we are on, oh gosh, we're just everywhere. Wherever you found us, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, leave us a review, leave us a positive review, be even better. Uh, send us some feedback, make it better notes at gmail.com. You can do a voice memo there too. Uh, what did I forget, Bob? Uh, Twitter, let's make a bet, B-E-T-T. And the number uh, two. Num number two, yep. Awesome. Let's make a bet, too. All right. 
I don't think we fixed any congressional problems. I don't think we fixed a one. We never will. No, it's death and taxes. And I, I don't know if they're responsible for death, but they're certainly responsible for the other one. So we probably can't solve that problem. Anyway, let's make it better podcast. We will see you next week. Have a happy 2021. Happy New Year, huh? Exciting. Exciting stuff ahead. Woohoo. All right. We got to talk to Mark. This song's a lot longer. It's a lot harder to get to the end of this one. But that's okay. We can do it. All right. We're going to let it play out. Let's make a better podcast. We will see you next week. And again, Happy New Year. Thanks for stopping by. Bye.